It's Unleashed with me, John Lund from KMBR Radio in San Francisco, episode 36 for November 2nd, 2022. It is NFL trade deadline day. Jeff Wilson is going. We'll tell you where. And the other moves that might affect the 49ers. The Warriors are kind of hard to talk about, but it's not that hard, Nets. And 12 years ago today, this will put a smile on your face. Let's go. What's happening? Thanks for joining us. Episode 36, Unleashed with me, John Lund, Barry, a sports talk for November 2nd, 2022. Thank you, first and foremost, for making Unleashed your first stop for Barry Sports each weekday. We drop it by 6 a.m., so it should be good for your commute in the morning, but you can listen any old time. Speaking of listening, please listen what you're doing. Thank you. Subscribe or get your favorite podcast. Remember to join me during my day job, KNBR 680, the blowtorch in the Bay Area. From 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. with the voice of the 49ers, Greg Poppy. You can stream us as well at KMBR.com and interact with me anytime you want at John Lund Radio on Twitter. Questions, comments, you suck, attaboys, whatever it is, give it to me at John Lund Radio. I'll use the best ones on the uh, podcast. If you're new to the podcast, thank you so much for listening. And we do kind of a, a cornucopia of things. I focus on Bay Area sports, but in the case of the Nets, we can't ignore that. The World Series, we can't ignore that. So, Kind of like my talk show uh, during the day, we uh, concentrate and focus on Bay Area sports because there is a ton to get to. There is always stuff every single day. It's funny. I wake up and I think to myself, what are we going to talk about? What are we going to talk about? Then there's a million things that seem to happen every single day, and we always get into fun tangents and those kind of things. So if you listen to my radio show or if you've listened to me from outside of the Bay Area from doing this for 25 years, you know, we get a little bit of this, a little bit of that, but we'll focus on Bay Area sports Every single day and get you caught up on uh, everything. Uh, lots of uh, sound. I like to use lots of sound because it's just me. I'm my solo project here. So I like you to hear other people, and then I like to work off that. Laughs, opinions, interviews, all those kind of things. And we do it each weekday morning. We try to have it up by 6 a.m. so you can do it during your commute. We lead it off with the big story in the leadoff spot, which is today, the NFL trade deadline. Uh, we got a few great stories today as well as I told you about the Warriors, the Nets, the World Series, the home runs, all those things. And I always like to comp that to the Giants. So we'll get to that conversation. And, of course, one for the road. It's a good day. I love to do history in sports. This is a good one for the Bay Area 12 years ago. Actually, yesterday, but I missed it yesterday. So i got to go back to it. It's that good. So let's get going. It is Episode 36, John Lund, Unleashed Bay Area Sports Talk. Here's your leadoff spot. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You know, Jeff had communicated with us in, you know, in, in, you know, in a fashion that, of course, he loved it here, but he also is loving being an integral part of a football team. And once we did the Christian deal, um, kind of seeing, seeing uh, Elijah close to returning, that, man, he wanted the opportunity to continue to be able to do that. And we assured him how much we valued him, but that if all those things came to fruition and there was a team, you know, that was willing to give what we deemed the appropriate price, that we try to work with him. Um, but also said, Jeff, you're too important to us. We believe we have the team to do it, and you're very important to that. And, you know, um, we, you know, Miami came hard probably, uh, you know, yesterday, but then, you know, all the way down to this morning, um, 
and uh, you know fifth is kind of where Kyle and I had it set and um, they ended up giving it. So that is John Lynch. It was a press conference today. That's why you heard at the uh, or teleconference. You heard at the beginning there. Beep boop beep boop beep boop beep boop. All these weird noises and that was people jumping in on the teleconference. But that was. Uh, just after the 1 o'clock deadline, and John Lynch, general manager of the 49ers, explaining why they traded Jeff Wilson Jr., which my first thought was Christian McCaffrey can move to number 22 from 23, although he had a historic day in 23, so I'm not sure he's going to want to go to 22. But then again, all his social medias, CMC underscore 22, so he could go back to 22. Anyway, uh, that's weird. That was my first thought. Now, as far as we're going to get to how trades affected the 49ers in just a second, but let's just talk about this for a minute in the running back position because it's a little bit scary because Jeff Wilson Jr., a an undrafted free agent out of North Texas, the Mean Green. That's why he was going back to Texas. That's where he's from. He's an undrafted free agent out of North Texas, and nobody really thought of, Je- of Jeff Wilson Jr. much. He had some injuries early in his career. He had a weird injury last year, so he didn't come back for a while, but he's bailed the 49ers out time and time and time again. Uh, the single play where he caught the touchdown against Arizona. I remember the Patriots game. He had a good game against the Browns. He's had a number of good games, and mostly when the 49ers have needed him because of injuries through the years because we all know Kyle Shanahan running backs tend to get hurt, Elijah Mitchell being the latest. But if you start looking at the post-bye week depth chart at running back for the 49ers, you're looking at McCaffrey. You're looking at Elijah Mitchell coming back. Third-rounder Ty Davis-Price. Jordan Mason, who they keep saying they're high on, but we really haven't seen. Juice at fullback and Tevin Coleman on the practice squad. So if they were going to try to get some draft capital back, and that's part of this deal as well, you dra- you trade the first-round pick for Trey Lance, which I'm going to get into that in a second. What Miami's done with that pick, you'll be absolutely amazed. But you you lose that pick, the first-round pick. You're never going to get anything like that for Jeff Wilson Jr. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that then you trade those picks for Christian McCaffrey, and you've got to get some draft capital back because draft capital equals cheap labor. And, oh, by the way, they got a fifth-round pick for Jeff Wilson, and they've done pretty well in the fifth round. If somebody said to me the 49ers get a fifth-rounder, I'll take that. That's George Kittle, Dre Greenlaw. Talanoga, Hafunga, Diaminor, Lenore, Sam Womack. Those are the fifth-round picks that the 49ers have gotten. So, yeah, fifth-round pick. Yes, please. So, Jeff Wilson Jr., it's not like you're going to stay up at night going, oh, how we interplace Jeff Wilson Jr. It's just that he's been one of those guys who have bailed the 49ers out time and time again. He's been a nice piece. He's not going to be confused for somebody who's a superstar. But the fact that Mike McDaniel and the Dolphins, and Mike McDaniel, of course, used to be the offensive coordinator with the 49ers and was Kyle Shanahan's right-hand man for a long time tells you that they like having him. And I know this for a fact because I've talked to Jeff Wilson Jr. a number of times in the locker room and had him on my show via phone. He's just a great dude. So, And you heard that at the end where John Lynch said, hey, just one of the best guys I've been around, and that's what he is. And there is chemistry in a locker room, and it does matter. Uh, I did tell you that the Dolphins now, speaking of picks, they got – after their trade today, because they not only got Jeff Wilson Jr., they got Bradley Chubb, and they got it with a pick, with a Trey Lance pick, that they got from the 49ers. So the Dolphins got three first-rounders back in the deal with the 49ers. Of course, the 49ers took that pick. So it's a net two, but three in total for Trey Lance. So in 21, they packaged the deal to get Jalen Waddell. In 22, they sent a pick to the Chiefs for Tyree Kill. And in 23, they sent a pick to the Broncos for Bradley Chubb. So Trey Lance for Jalen Waddell, Tyree Kill, and Bradley Chubb. 
Um, I don't care how good Trey Lance is. I think he might have trouble leading up to or living up to that and the 49ers winning that trade. Waddle Hill and Chubb for those picks. That's how you do it if you're the Dolphins. Anyway, uh, so today the trade deadline, this was the thing I was worried about. The Rams making a move for a running back. We had heard Kareem Hunt's name from the Browns. We had heard Alvin Kamara's trade with the, or name of the Saints. I didn't think he was going to get traded because everybody's in it in the NFC South. Uh, we had heard that the Seahawks were looking for defensive line help, either defensive tackle or edge rusher help. Uh, the Rams didn't get anybody. Seattle didn't get anybody. Uh, the big trades were, as I just told you, Bradley Chubb going to Miami. Now the 49ers are going to have to deal with him. They already dealt with him in Denver, and now they play uh, Miami later on in the year. TJ Hawkinson, you might see the Vikings in the playoffs, and you start looking at their skill guys. Hawkinson's a nice tight end. Uh, Jefferson, obviously, outside. Justin Jefferson, Cook in the backfield, Adam Thielen. So, you know, that that's a good team. I would say that skill position-wise, I still think I'm doing this quick off the top of my head with McCaffrey and Ayuk and Debo and Kittle and Elijah Mitchell coming back. The 49ers might have the best skill players. The Bills have good ones. The Chiefs still have good ones. I mean, there's some good ones out there. But the Vikings, that's a pretty good skill position group. Uh, I thought the Bays might do something. Green Bay really needed a wide receiver. Chase Claypool goes from the Steelers to the Bears for a pretty high price, second-round pick. Now, if you're the Bears, Justin Fields can't get it close to anybody, so throw it up and you have a big receiver. There was word that the Packers got close for him, but no dice on that, and nobody else apparently was available. Jerry Judy's name had been thrown around out there, but the Bays don't get anybody. Tampa was looking for offensive line help because Tom Brady's been under a lot of pressure, so I thought maybe Tampa along the offensive line, maybe Green Bay as far as receivers to help Aaron Rodgers. Neither team got that. So the Packers, the Bucks, the Rams, and Seattle were teams I thought might make moves, and there was lots of rumors around that, but they didn't. And the thing that's really weird, so before I, before I get to that thought, let me, let me finish this thought. Yeah, you're, you might see, see the Vikings in the playoffs. That's TJ Hawkinson. Yeah, you're going to see Miami again, Bradley Chubb, but it could have been a lot worse. Jeff Wilson Jr. for a fifth. I'm okay with that because of the running back depth. The Rams didn't get anybody. Seattle didn't get anybody. The Bays didn't get anybody. So nobody in the NFC really got appreciably better unless you say TJ Hawkinson is going to help the Vikings a lot. I think he'll help a little. I don't know if he'll help a lot. But trade deadline day, having done this for years, it used to be nothing because teams just – it was too much to integrate a player into your, into your offense or your defense. In baseball, it's easy. Pick up a bat, play third base, or whatever position you play, it's individualistic. So you're fine. Uh, NBA would still take a little bit longer, but you could trade guys in the NBA. It's not all that complicated – but now that the NFL work, the way the NFL works now is everybody's running a version of the Kyle Shanahan offense. So it's really, and that's why Christian McCaffrey's been able to pick everything up so fast for the 49ers because they're the same plays. It's just a new language. So NFL teams speak a language, and you just have to learn that language. Now, it's, it's not easy. It's Rosetta Stone. Ten days that Christian McCaffrey, now he's, he doesn't know the intricacies of it yet, but through like a Rosetta Stone program, he's learned it in 10 days pretty darn fast. It helps that he's a bright guy. But he's, he had this thing down for the first weekend, played a few plays against Kansas City 22, I think it was. And then he had the full breadth of the offense last week, as you saw by what he did. So because everybody runs a version of Kyle Shanahan, oh, you want me to do this, this, and this? Just tell me what you call it, and then I can pick it up. Because I've been doing the same things. You just call it something different. It's not like I have to learn something new. I just have to learn what you call it. Same thing defensively. So offensively, it's the Kyle Shanahan system. Defensively, it's former 49ers 
defensive coordinator Vic Fangio. So everybody's running a version of Vic Fangio's defense and Kyle Shanahan's offense, and just tell me what you call it. And that's really it. Now, a quarterback is going to take more time. Certain positions are going to are going to take more time. But you're telling me a guy like McCaffrey, he comes in, a guy like Bradley Chubb, Hawkinson, guys like that, it, look, they can come in nowadays because offenses and defenses are run so similarly. And then it's just kind of the intricacies and the movements and the creativeness off of that, which is what changes. But you can learn the basic concepts of the offenses and defense in the NFL much faster than you used to be. And that's why players can play so much more quickly than they were able to do. All right, that is your leadoff spot. Trade deadline day. Jeff Wilson Jr. goes to the Dolphins. The 49ers get a fifth-round pick. And no real deep further damage by teams making moves. Next. We're still finding our way, you know, um, as, a, as a bench um, unit and still, you know, looking at combinations and learning a lot here in the early part of the season. So um, all in all, I was really pleased with the effort. I like to stop it there. Steve Kerr said a lot after the 124-106 loss to the Miami Heat on Tuesday night. I love Steve Kerr, and this is nothing against Steve Kerr. This is just a pet peeve of mine, so this is more a me problem than a Steve Kerr problem or even a Warriors problem because, I, again, I'm not trying to be get-off-my-lawn guy, but he just said I liked our effort. You're the defending champions. You've won four rings here. You, you won rings with the Bulls and the Spurs. Effort? Is that the minimum that a team can get? I mean, I'm, I'm sorry to equate this to money, but when the guys are making what they're making, hey, you might suck and miss every shot. You might peel the rim off or peel the paint off the rim because you shoot so poorly. You, you, met, you might let a guy blow by you. You may not. I don't know what they did in South Beach last night. Maybe you partied all night long and, and, and everything else because you had Halloween in South Beach. But just give effort. Like, that's the minimum. I mean, when you go to, when you go to work every day, hey, just give effort. I tell my kid who's in college right now, just show up to class and give effort. Everything will take care of itself. So the minimum that you can give every day is effort. So I don't like when coaches say effort. Our effort was there. That's a given, isn't it? This isn't why I'm not doing this segment on effort, but I'm just saying I heard that cut. I was like, effort? That's like the bare minimum of the bare minimum. Anyway, my point in talking about the Warriors uh, this morning and today is that they're really hard to talk about. Not because they're overly complicated. They're not overly complicated. But we all know what's going on here. The Warriors came into last night's game leading the league in scoring at 117.8 and also leading the league in giving up points at over 122. So they gave up 116, so that'll go down a tick. But the point remains the same. They're not very good defensively. And you know what defense is? Say it with me, Steve Kerr. It's effort. It's want to. It's grinding it out, and the and the Warriors will do that as the season progresses. I don't know, sometime after the All-Star break, March, uh, April, something in that range, and then in the playoffs, they'll hit their stride and they'll be fine. And we all know what the goal is here because they won 73 games in the 2015-2016 season, and I still don't think it was because they were burned out. They didn't play. You know, I, I, I've had this conversation a million times with friends, and I've looked back and I've, done, I've studied it. They didn't play a ton of minutes. They didn't burn themselves out. Maybe they didn't mentally, not physically. They, they just didn't win the championship. And that happens sometimes in the playoffs, whether you win 73 or 53 like they did last year. That's just, that's what happens. But they're not trying to win 73 games again. They're trying to win about 50 or 53 games like they did last year. And their number one goal is not wins. Their number one goal is, hey, Steph, how you feeling? Hey, Draymond, don't get hurt and overexert yourself. 
hey, Clay, you're still coming off two major injuries in which you played 32 regular season games last year. How you doing? You need a rest? It's about getting to that point. The Warriors can be the play-in team and play every game on the road and every series on the road, and they can still win a championship. How many, how many series is it that they've won a road game? 30-something. It's an NBA record. It's, it's absurd the amount of series they've won a road game in. So they're going to win a game in a playoff series in your place, and they're probably going to generally hold serve at home, which means they're going to win that series. That's all they're waiting for. They know it's not about wins. Young teams like Memphis will try to go out for their ego and win 56 or 60 games. Phoenix, I think, and Chris Paul, because they haven't won a championship, they won 63 games last year, the most in the NBA. Where did it get them? The Warriors won 10 less. They won the championship. So it's not about how many games you win. You know, Jordan's Bulls won 70, and they they won 70-plus twice. You know, there's lots of teams who have won a ton of games, but it doesn't matter. And more than ever now. So it used to be in the NBA that you did try to win as many as you could because everybody played every night. It was just kind of a given. Now we've got all these meters and metrics and everything tells you when you're tired. No, I don't feel tired. No, you're tired. Take the night off. No, no, no. We got a national game. Okay, you got to play in the national game, but the night after you can't play. You know, they do the things you have to do in the NBA. They satisfy the NBA. Okay, okay, Adam Silver. You want Steph Curry to play on this big stage game on TNT or ESPN on a Saturday night? Fine. He'll play in that game. But he sure as ain't, hell ain't playing Monday night in Indiana. It's just not happening. I don't care who came to see him play. So it's all about keeping these guys fresh for the playoffs. So the reason I say that it's hard to talk about the Warriors on a day-by-day basis is that it really doesn't lead to anything. So we talk about the 49ers because there's only 17 of these games. And if you lose or win on a given Sunday, it can change the trajectory of your season in either a negative or a positive way. But if you lose or win a game, like they lose to Miami, all right, well, 1-1 season series, I don't know, does that really mean anything? They're in the Eastern Conference. I mean, maybe in the West, if you have a tiebreaker or something like that, it might mean something. But generally speaking, the goal for this season for the Warriors is, A, keep the old guys, the OGs, as fresh as possible, uh, get the new guys enough experience, Wiseman, Kaminga, et cetera, so that they can be competent and they can decide what these guys are actually going to be someday, uh, get Jordan Poole on the court to 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 continue his ascent. Get some of the guys who just got here, DiVincenzo, when he gets healthy, and Jamichael Green, and integrate them so that they've played enough with Steph Curry and the rest of the guys that come playoff time, they feel good about things. That's generally the rule. Don't get hurt. Get the young guys' experience. Get the new guys enough continuity. That's the goal. Oh, oh, oh yeah, and win some games. And they can win games anytime they want. If they turn the screws, they'll win it. They'll beat anybody on any night. Oh, we need to win, you know, three of our next four to, you know, secure this playoff seed. That's all it's about. So on a, and on a day in and day out basis, unless there's an injury, there's not a major story with the Warriors. They don't have a Kyrie Irving on their team, which I'll get to in a minute. They don't have a lot of off the court stuff. I mean, there was the punch, and then we talked about the punch and the punch and the punch and the punch, and then we kind of went, eh, it's the regular season. I mean, that's how good this team is. It's they're just that good, and there's that many games to where really, and it's not that I don't watch them every night. I I do. Uh, I I love watching Steph Curry. I I love watching the team. I love when they're moving the ball. I love when they're actually playing defense. But when I when a press conference starts with Steve Kerr saying, "Man, I like the effort tonight," a, a coach with a team at this level would never say that, and that's why you know, hey, we got some effort tonight because he knows not he's not going to get that every night. 
you know, these guys are of a certain age. They're going to turn it on and turn it off. Hey, it was Miami. That's a pretty good team. You know, they had 53 wins last year. We had 53 wins last year. So if we played them in the NBA Finals, you know, who would get the tiebreaker? Well, it's 1-1, and I'm too lazy to think, okay, what's going to happen at that point? But they had more wins than the Celtics last year. They got home court. They win. But they don't need home court. Anyway, I don't want to repeat myself over and over on this thing, but they are a difficult th- team to talk about because it just doesn't matter. Was it Animal House? It just doesn't matter. Maybe that was Meatballs. Anyway, it doesn't matter until playoff time unless there's an injury. Let's stay in the NBA. The craziest story going on right now, the Nets. Next. Why was it decided that in the light of that, it makes sense for Kyrie to continue to be playing and around the team right now while that is going on? Like, Why not have him take a break or be a step away or something as opposed to the path you guys have taken? You know, I, I think, you know, we've, we've tried to do a little bit of both, to be honest, like by keeping him, uh, you know, he did not do media last night. He's not going to do media tonight. And you know, at some point he will come up here and, and, and do media again. But I think at this point it's it's. You know, we, we don't want to cause, um, uh, you know, more fuss right now, more interaction with people. Like, let's let him simmer down and let's let this whole, uh, I guess, let's the cooler minds prevail. And I think we need to go out and become, you know, educate ourselves, educate the whole group and, and get some direction. Seek from the experts, you know, and, and the experts is, you know, one of them is certainly the ADL. You remember? You ever see the movie Billy Madison and Billy Madison, who's played by Adam Sandler in the end, and he's he, he's he's kind of not knowing what he's talking about and kind of ranting and raving a little bit, and then the guy at the end says something to the effect of, uh, "That is one of the dumbest things I've ever heard," and you receive zero points for your answer. That's what Sean Marks, the general manager of the Nets, just said right there. I'll I'll summarize. That's what he just said. And he's going to be the next one on the chopping block. He's going to get fired next. Uh, Kevin Durant didn't want him around. And Durant says he didn't have any say in Steve Nash being fired. Uh, Steve Nash was fired. And to add to this uh, fire that is going on in uh, Brooklyn right now with the Nets, Joe Sy, their owner, is going to hire, according to the insiders like Adrian Wojnarowski, they're going to hire Ime Udoka, who was the head coach in Boston and was suspended for the year by the team, not the league, by the team, even though he led them to the NBA Finals against the Warriors because he had an inappropriate relationship with a member of the staff with the Celtics. Now, because I brought that up, let me start with this. He was the only guy they could get. Some people were tweeting at me and saying, well, what about Quinn Snyder? He's out there. What about this guy? What about that guy? I think there were two candidates for this job, Mark Jackson, who can't seem to get another head coaching job for some reason in the league, and Ime Udoka, who found himself in the most desperate situation in a, in a situation similar to what the Nets were going through. Quinn Snyder's not taking this job. Kyrie Irving's not going to be on this team next year. Uh, Kevin Durant may not be on this team next year. I don't know what Ben Simmons is. He's already hurt. I mean, this team, uh, the future of this team is to say murky is an insult to murky. I mean, it's it's completely in the dark to what this team is going to be. You have a couple of the most unpredictable stars in the league, and I don't want to lump what Kevin Durant is to what Kyrie uh, Irving is right now. I'm not debating any part of Kyrie Irving as a basketball player. From a talent standpoint, he's probably a top-five player in the league. Okay, take that aside because this isn't fantasy basketball, and you don't just roll these guys out with their numbers. There's 
a locker room to this. There is team chemistry to this. The Warriors know this. There's all sorts of intangibles to why a team does or does not succeed. It is never, and I tell you never, about just the talent on a basketball team because if it were, this team would have been far better last year. They would have been far better this year. And James Harden knew last year when he saw Kyrie Irving, I'm getting the hell out of here. There's a lot of people to blame here, but let's start with Kyrie Irving. Flat Earth, vaccines, anti-Semitism, letting down teammates, feuding with fan bases and reporters. There comes a point of talent versus tolerance, and if I was the Nets and I own this team, I would have already passed that long ago, and Kyrie Irving wouldn't be on my team. Now, I know it's easy to say from here, sitting here, that Kyrie Irving wouldn't be on my team, but he wouldn't. I, there's no question in my mind that somebody like this who is so ill-informed. And look, let's back up one more time. Let's talk about the rules of Twitter and social media. First of all, he has about 20 million followers. So the reason why this is a big deal if you don't, and if you're just a stick-to-sports guy, I completely understand that. But you fell into the wrong podcast because this is all in one big ball now. This is not about just ball to bat or ball to court or puck to stick or anything like that. We have long passed that. And everybody has their own forums. And I'm 100% and completely for it. And if Kyrie Irving wants to have his opinion on things and all the things I just said, and they're all controversial, then that's fine. I, I don't have an issue with it. But when you start insulting people and groups and you play in one of the largest Jewish communities in our country and the world, then that's a problem for you and that's a problem for the organization. And I'm shocked to this point, to be honest with you, because this is how it works. When someone, celebrity or otherwise, says something stupid, here's what a team does, exactly what the Nets are doing. The reason why Kyrie Irving is not speaking to the media, which is a cowardly move, is that they're waiting for the fallout from advertisers. Are some of our title sponsors, are some of our key advertisers going to pull out? So I don't know who they are for the Nets, but Budweiser, Pepsi, whomever it is, Coca-Cola, the big ones. Uh, NBA sponsors, are any of those sponsors threatening? Hey, you know what? If Kyrie stays around, if Kyrie's in this league, our brand is out. So that's what they're doing right now. It's all about money. It's always about money. So what's going to be the reaction to what Kyrie Irving's saying? He's not saying cool down because of fans. He's not saying cool down because of players. He's saying let's see what the reaction is, the fallout financially is from that, from this whole thing, uh, from this moronic episode of Kyrie Irving. So that that's first and foremost. But the, the biggest hypocrisy of this whole thing is you're allowing him to play and represent your organization. So he can play because he's really, really good. I get that, by the way. People who are better at something, people who are better looking, people. Uh, there are different classes in our, <laughs> in, our, uh, in our country, all right? And people who are really good at something or really good looking or whatever it is in their chosen field, all right? If they're better than you and I, they are going to get more chances to succeed and fail, and Kyrie Irving clearly falls into that. So I'm not naive to that. You can't treat Kyrie Irving like the 12th guy in the bench. It just doesn't work that way. Conceptually, yeah, that's how it should be. We treat everybody the same. No, we don't. We don't do that. But my question would be this. In this given situation, are the Nets, because of a pure talent standpoint, on the court, better with Kyrie Irving? Or because of the things that he does off the court, are they better without him? Now, again, it seems like a really stupid question. Lund, you're crazy and you've lost it again. On the court, they're much better. 
But sometimes when you take somebody away, subtraction becomes addition. I know that's not the first time you've heard that, but subtraction can mean addition. We've all been in those situations at work. This guy's really great. You think he's your best sales guy or your biggest asset or whatever the case may be and whatever it is you do for a living. And all of a sudden you subtract him and everything around becomes so much better that you become better as an organization. And I believe that's the way it's going to be for Kyrie Irving. I'll go back to James Harden. I'll go back to Kevin Durant, who I believe is is completely had it with Kyrie Irving. Um, I don't think he's tradable. Unless the Lakers, and that is the only team that is desperate enough, and LeBron James, I'm sure, is in the ear of Jeannie Buss and the rest of the powers that be with the Lakers saying, I can control this guy. This is my guy. So, you know, I don't know what the Lakers have to trade. If I was the Nets, I certainly wouldn't take Russell Westbrook back. And the irony here is, hey, the Lakers are saying to the, to the Nets, how about a straight up for Westbrook? Kevin Durant's already seen that movie. Uh, LeBron James is sitting there saying, please give me my former teammate Kyrie Irving. So James would like to have Kyrie Irving. I don't think Kevin Durant would like to have Russell Westbrook, who's a worst version of who he had before, and they didn't win a championship then. This whole thing is a mess. Joe Sy, the owner of the Nets, couldn't have screwed it up worse. You can't keep him on the court, first of all. I understand why they are. I just went through how good he is as an NBA player. But first of all, you have to remove him from the court. Second of all, you have to have a stronger statement than what they do did. This is on the Nets. This is on the NBA. This is a continuing theme for Kyrie Irving. This is the guy that he is. He's got over 20 million followers. So, again, if you think that this isn't part of his job and not part of the media's job and you're blaming the bad old media for this, it is part of his job, especially when your social media platforms feature over 20 million followers like Kyrie Irving does. Now, look. Maybe retweets aren't endorsements. I don't know. But it seems to me that he's not informed in what he retweeted, in what he's endorsing, and now they're trying to keep him away and somehow think that in a market like New York and New York City that we're going to somehow forget about it. Damn, they fired Steve Nash. I forgot all about Kyrie Irving. That just fans the flames more. And now you're going to bring in the guy who was suspended by the Celtics, Ime Udoka. And, oh, yeah, we forgot it. Because you got Ime Udoka and you fired Steve Nash. We forgot all about the Kyrie Irving stuff. Look, you got to suspend the guy. The NBA's got to jump in. They got to do something about this. But the Nets have to seriously look at letting Kyrie Irving walk no matter how good of a basketball player he is. He's to blame. The NBA is to blame. The Nets are to blame. I don't have to agree with Kyrie's, Kyrie's wacky theories, but once he crosses the line into supporting, and this is what I think he did, and endorsing hate, his privileges to play in the league should be revoked until further notice. Next. They get out of their own mechanics when they're at the plate. Hoskins with a drive. Left field. An explosion! The South Philly Bombers with five! Joe Davis, John Smoltz on the call for the World Series. I don't know how much you're, you're watching the World Series. At John Lund Radio. I love your feedback because I think I know what you want to talk about. I think you're into the World Series because it's the World Series. Maybe you're not. But I do think there's an intriguing version of this because I always try to localize. I watch these teams, and then I think, okay, how close are the local teams? So I watched the Phillies tonight, five home runs, which tied a World Series record. 
They have 17 home runs in their six playoff games. They're absolutely bombing everybody. Uh, five different players last night hit home runs. Uh, started off with Bryce Harper's bomb, which was an absolute crusher. Uh, Kyle Schwarber hit one to a place I've never seen a ball hit in that stadium. Reese Hoskins, who's a Northern California guy, he hit one. Alex Baum, great last name for a, a Major League Baseball player, he hit one. And uh, Brandon Marsh, he hit one. So five different players. And, oh, by the way, I was texting with a friend of mine. And let me pull up the text here really quick. And he was talking about how Lance McCullers Jr. was tipping his pitches. And he he said that after the first home run. And I didn't know this. And this is why I'm not angry with the Astros, by the way. Because if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. And the guy who texted me, a friend of mine, he played in the majors, was the designated, he was the best one on his team at catching pitchers and them, them tipping pitches. And they have guys in the dugout that are specifically players who are not playing that are specifically supposed to do that. So he texted. I said, what's McCullers tipping? Because it was clear he was. He said, CB, which is curveball. Curveball, slider, change, all obvious. And he was the specific guy to catch or to see the tendencies of a pitcher and relay it to his team of what was coming. And he was pretty damn good at it. So who's ever doing it for the Phillies now is uh, absolutely on point, and they did it on Tuesday night. So the Phillies lead the World Series 2-1, 7-0 drubbing of the Astros in Game 3 in Philly. And here's my point in bringing up the World Series, even if you're not that interested, is that these playoff teams and World Series teams specifically between the Phillies and the Astros, they have a depth of players in the prime of their career, which is something that the Giants don't have. Schwarber, Hoskins, Riamuto, Harper, Castellanos, Alex Baum, Stott. These are a couple of young players that they have. Gene Segura, who's been around a long time. He's more of a line drive guy. Marsh has hit a couple of home runs in these in these playoffs. My point in saying this is, is that as you look at the Giants, and I'm watching this game, and the Astros have a similar type of lineup, and then you look at teams in the playoffs who are really good teams like the Dodgers and the Giants and the Braves. I'm just sticking to the National League because those are the teams that the Giants have to deal with and a couple in the Dodgers and the Padres in their own division. And I was thinking to myself, okay, the Giants lineup, Bell, Estrada, Crawford, Longo, Bart, Wade Jr., Yaz, J.D. Davis, Wilmer Flores, like that lineup doesn't compute at all as far as you're watching the World Series on both sides now, the two best teams, the teams representing, and you're seeing no breaks or especially now with, with the DH in either league, very few, if any, breaks in every lineup. So you don't get to take a breath. Like, you're like, man, I got through that part of it. I mean, who scares you? I'm looking at it. Belt, Estrada, Crawford, Longo, Bartway Jr., Yaz, J.D. Davis, Wilmer Flores. Not only is there not like a three, you know, a, a group of three or four or five hitters that, that that make you fearful, there's not one. Like, is there a pitcher? That, I mean, their best hitter this year was Wilmer Flores. Is there a pitcher going, damn, and I'm talking top-end pitchers. Remember, you're not just hitting five home runs. You're hitting five home runs off of some of the best pitchers that teams can offer. These are World Series teams for the most part. These are good staffs. These are good starters. Lance McCullers Jr., tipping or not, he gave up five home runs. You think Lance McCullers Jr. is looking at this, looking at this team going, damn, it's Wilmer Flores again. Now, if they're saying Ria Muto is hitting and Bryce Harper's on deck and then Hoskins is after that and, you know, 
Castellanos is on after that, so on and so forth. Same with the Astros, the type of lineup that they're throwing at you. Farhan has a lot of work to do in the offseason because these are the lineups not only in the World Series, but we can rattle off the, the lineup for the Dodgers in a similar fashion, the Padres in a similar fashion. And while we all laugh, and for good reason, that the Dodgers won 111 games and are no, nowhere near the World Series, or the Padres made it in and they're not in the World Series, made it to the NLCS, but these teams, both these teams in your own division, if we narrow it down, have five or six guys in a row. This isn't about what it used to be about. It used to be if you could get through the three, four, five, right? Oh, man, get through the three, four, five, and then you get a break. Now your best hitters moved up to the two spot. The Phillies lead off with Kyle Schwarber, the Astros with Jose Altuve. That's your leadoff guys who both could hit 25, 30 home runs, or in Schwarber's case, hit one about 500 feet and hit 40 home runs. He's your leadoff guy. You don't get a break. You might get a you might get a break at eight or nine, but remember with a DH now, so you're like one through six, and, and in these cases of these teams, and in, and I include the Dodgers and the Padres. I mean, we're talking like one through seven. You don't get a break. That's all you get in the Giants lineup is a break, especially with older guys who have injuries all the time. So look, I'm not down on anything. I hope some of the younger guys can be effective sooner rather than later, the guys that we keep coming up or hearing about in the farm system. But when we hear Aaron Judge, that's great. I love Aaron Judge. I'd love him in the middle of this lineup. But he's Mike Trout if they don't sign somebody around him. And we talked about this in earlier podcasts. We had a writer on for them, the uh, New York paper that covers the Yankees. He thinks Anthony Rizzo is going to come with him. All right. You have Rizzo and Judge. There's a couple of bats. You probably need one or two more. Who are you going to get? So it's through free agency. It's through trades. It's expanding payroll. But in watching these two teams tonight, it's kind of depressing. The Giants don't have enough of these guys, and they got a lot of work to do in the offseason. That's your World Series update. It's time for one for the road. for the Giants throws. Swing and a miss! And that's it! The Giants are world champions as they come pouring out of the dugout. Circling Brian Wilson. The bullpen. Flying in from left center field. Dancing. Hugging. And celebrating for all you Giants fans wherever you are. Giants fans, this party is just getting started. What a great call by Dwayne Kuyper. And I'm sorry, that was November 1st of 2010. Today is November 2nd of 2010. And we did so much uh, football and NFL and so on and so forth. And I did one for the road yesterday on Tom Brady's divorce because we could all, well, not all of us, but a lot of us can uh, sympathize with Tom Brady, even though he's got all the money and the, all the different things going on. So I did, that was kind of on my mind yesterday. So I did a... One for the road on Tom Brady, but so I'm a day late on this, but I couldn't let it go another day. So 12 years ago yesterday, November 1st of 2010, that call by Kipe, and it is one of the great ones. And he says something in there that is amazing because it's all Giants fans and it doesn't matter what your political beliefs are or any religious beliefs or any anything that is going on in our country that causes a rift when your team wins a championship, what it means to your community, what it means in bringing everyone together. And that was one of the best ones. And all the other ones are great, 12 and 14 for the Giants and all the championships for the Warriors. And I've been extremely, extremely lucky in my career. 
to cover three Giants titles and four Warriors championships and two 49er Super Bowls. They didn't win them. But I was in Detroit for a Pistons championship in their locker room in Utah twice when they played the Bulls early in my career. And I was assigned to the locker room and saw, saw those championships. Uh, national title games between Auburn and Oregon in college football. Uh, I covered the Detroit uh, Red Wings when they won a Stanley Cup. So I've been and seen championships in the World Series, Stanley Cup, NBA Finals, Super Bowls, Final Fours, uh, Kentucky and Utah I covered in 1998. And I'm not saying that to stroke myself and to stroke my ego. That's not my point. My point is, is that when I realized that it was 12 years ago yesterday that the Giants had won their first World Series in San Francisco and just what that meant for the community and going back and remembering that. And I'm not talking about the part where people go crazy and and are destructive and all those kind of things. But having lived through those things, especially talking about 2010 with the Giants, you get so emotional as a fan, and you know what I'm talking about here, you just don't know what to do. You don't know what to do with your emotions, so people run outside and they do things that they wouldn't normally do, and I'm not condoning it. I'm simply saying that there is so much emotion built up that you just a, a lot of times you just don't know what to do, but it brings a community together, especially now, and it's just the most amazing feeling, so I wanted to share it. And I saw a video last night when Bryce Harper hit his home run and it was going into the right field stands and it gave the Phillies a 2 nothing lead in the first inning. And the guy has a camera up and he's, you know, it's his phone and he's catching the ball going into the stands and it's the most amazing video. And then everyone around him goes nuts and people are dancing and say what you want about Philadelphia. They have great sports fans. And it was so cool because in, in the times we are in, as a country to see all these people who are basically strangers and euphoric over a baseball flying into the stands. They go crazy and have the one thing in common and it's all brought together by a baseball. And it was so cool to watch that it brought me back to that 2010. And I thought I got to do one for the road today on the giants 12 years ago, yesterday winning their first world series in San Francisco, November one, 2010. And I realized this and we all do. Sports isn't the most important thing. I get that. But try telling that to people in Philly right now or anybody who's winning championships. The Warriors won their latest and the Giants in 2010 and go on down the line. Championships are cool and they bring people together. Times are tough. Sports helps. And that is one for the road. And that is Unleashed, episode 36 for Wednesday, hump day, November 2nd, 2022. John Lund from KMBR Radio in San Francisco. Thank you for making Unleashed Various Sports Talk your first stop for Various Sports each weekday. Please listen what you're doing. Thank you. Spread the word and subscribe where you get your favorite podcast. Join me during my day job, KNBR 680 in San Francisco, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. with the voice of the 49ers, Greg Papa, KNBR.com. Interact anytime at John Lund Radio. Questions, comments, attaboys, whatever it is you like to do at John Lund Radio. It's Unleashed, Barrier Sports Talk with me, John Lund, episode 36 on the Locked On Podcast Network.